welcome to Hit Perspectives. I'm your host, Jillian, and I'm coming at you from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Pitt Perspectives is a student-run podcast here at UNC aimed at building a sense of understanding in the student community by sharing candid, anonymous student opinions on important social topics. Today, the topic at hand is Greek life. Our episode features UNC students who volunteered to share their opinions on Greek life, and Pitt Perspectives is dedicated to sharing an unfiltered sample of the student body. Today's show features students who are a part of Greek life, students who attend parties but are not involved otherwise, students who abstain completely, and other adults who have had prior experience. If I had to come up with just one word to make this entire episode and then you could just stop listening, the word would be toxic. I don't know exactly what I'm going to say, but I think Greek life is actually a pretty fucking toxic... uh... Yeah, I feel like it's just kind of gross and like cold, like a little. It's actually very toxic at its core. Yeah, just a super toxic, encourages a bunch of, uh, I don't know, it kind of brings out the worst in people. As we take a deeper dive into the Greek life system, the multifaceted toxicity becomes a clear point of agreement at our school. About half a mile north of the pit sits Franklin Street home to many of UNC's sorority homes, and to the west, Frat Court. Even the geographic location of Greek life is already controversial. It's kind of disgusting that these spaces are like literally right across the street from campus, um, and some of the closest houses to campus house some of the worst things that happen here. It seems that even though fraternity and sorority activities are mostly self-contained, their influence is felt across campus. So, what is Greek life? And where did it come from? To begin, let's travel back more than 200 years to 1776 at the College of William and Mary, where John Heath founded the first Greek letter society. Heath was a Greek student who had been rejected from the Latin societies on campus. And so at its foundation, Greek life was literally about the Greek language. 49 years later at Union College in New York, the first fraternities were established, more similar to what we know today. The first secret society for women was created in 1851 and was eventually adopted into the Greek letter system in the 1900s. UNC students seem to think that Greek life today on campus has changed. I think that Greek life is kind of a holdover from an older college culture. Well, I believe that Greek life is outdated. I feel like it's something that is gonna die off, hopefully, in the next couple of years. Um, Greek life, I think a majority of them are just like not what they're supposed to be. Panhellenic Greek life has gone so far skewed from what I feel like their original purposes are that it's just like, why are they even important to keep on campuses anymore? They seem more harm than good. So, what was Greek life originally supposed to be? The first fraternities and sororities were focused around the classics such as philosophy, literature, enlightenment topics, and other current academic events at the time. In the mid to late 1800s, these groups were essentially debate and literary societies, except unlike a contemporary debate club, they found pride in their secrecy and initiation rituals, often coming from historical events or mythology. As Greek letter societies dropped their secrecies and began popping up around the nation throughout the 20th century, the academic inclination dwindled, and they became places where students, that is, 
white students of high socioeconomic class, could partake in traditions, gain access to resources, and bond with their peers. The word bonding may be misleading to the public eye. As a fellow student puts it, Greek life is often perceived as extremely cultish. The cult reputation of Greek life comes from hazing, which has become what many people recognize as an inherent part of Greek life at any university. Hazing is done as an initiation ritual for new members to organizations on college campuses, and historically has not been limited to fraternities and sororities. The acts are done regardless of if there is consent from the victim and can include assault, kidnapping, physical activity that knowingly or recklessly subjects a person to unreasonable risk of physical harm, degradation, humiliation, compromising of moral or religious values, forced consumption of any substance. The list goes on to pretty much include anything a college student can think of as a way to ridicule or embarrass a fellow student. Hazing, unfortunately, often goes past wearing a dumb costume for a day or doing an upperclassman's homework. At least one U.S. school, club, or organization hazing death has been reported every year from 1959 to 2019, and then again in 2021. In 2013, the Chi Phi fraternity here at UNC was under investigation for a suspected hazing incident related to the death of a student who was under heavy alcohol influence. Most hazing deaths involve drinking extremely dangerous amounts of alcohol, and then students are often coerced into activities that cannot be safely done while drunk. In addition to hazing, it's also important to mention that alcohol is deeply rooted in the Greek life system in other ways, mainly for fun, and students who may otherwise oppose Greek life do not necessarily oppose having a good time. Okay. I enjoy Greek life only because they have parties and free alcohol, but I also feel like it's extremely cultish, so I have mixed reviews. I don't, I don't really know how to feel. I personally would not join Greek life, but then again, if you are in Greek life, go for it, man. That's my opinion. Greek life is like something that could be fun, like going out to frat parties, the free alcohol, like going to mixers and stuff, but I think at its core, it's actually something that's very corrupt. Like, there's so much hazing that goes on on this campus. A lot of people, like, do not sleep because they're so dedicated to, like, their Greek life and they feel like they have to, like, put their all into it. Um, it's very glorified here at UNC. Um, it's, a, it's a very big deal at most, at, at a lot of state colleges because it's a, it's a way for uh, undergraduate students to get free alcohol, which is... Um, which is very nice for people that are interested in that. For sororities, hazing is sometimes overlooked, but is still prevalent. At different universities across the nation, hazing in sororities has included freezing showers, extreme amounts of exercise, emotional abuse and constant nabs at appearance and physical characteristics, and even forced food journal entries. Hazing is illegal in North Carolina and at UNC, but it's unclear how much still happens behind closed doors. In 2018, former UNC Sigma Nu president came out with an op-ed detailing his experiences with hazing. He said it was still extremely prevalent at UNC, and that the only difference between here and other schools known for their egregious hazing is that UNC has been lucky enough to not get exposed or experience as many major incidents. A UNC alum and former member of Greek Life agreed. 
we kept it under wraps for sure, but there is still some going on. And I'm sure there's still some going on. Going back to the former frat president's op-ed, he suggested the solution to hazing issues he saw would need to involve accountability, a message reigning true among students today. I think Greek life should be held more accountable. The call for Greek life to be held more accountable can be split into two major issues, sexual assault and race. Going into our recordings at the pit, I definitely had preconceived notions about sexual assault on college campuses and the relation to Greek life. I think for me, just being on campus and following other college students on social media has shaped an image in my mind of what happens at frats. A 2017 study of schools across the U.S. found men and fraternities three times more likely to commit rape than other men on campus, and the statistic certainly feels true among the student body's concerns. Uh, I think Greek life is freaky, um, specifically for women, the idea that all like uh, uh, sororities can't have men, but fraternities can have women, and so it like lures women into frat houses, and then like when men have to pay for to get in, but women don't have to pay, it's like you literally just want women to come, like women don't come, and then you want them to come so that they can be like abused or drugged or something like that, and that's freaky. All kinds of women. The last person mentioned, like, it was scary for women, but I think it's a certain subgroup of women because, you, as you know, like, with the curry wall, like, that whole frat was, like, basically a whole wall of, like, brown women that couldn't get in. And so they're not looking for, like, people like us, brown and black people. They're looking for, like, little white girls. So, sorry to say, so they can, like, groom, not groom, but, like, kind of learn trap with that whole, like, little, you're, you're a star, like, you're with a junior and a senior, and, like, you're young, and I can get you, and you're so hot, and stuff like that. I just thought it was weird. A student involved in Greek life here at UNC also chimed in with an inside perspective. But there's a lot of drug use that goes on behind the scenes. There's obviously a lot of sexual assault that just comes with, I think, substance use. And then, uh, but I will say my fraternity is, is taking steps. Like we, we have a lot of training, but that's not, that's not good enough. 20% of women are sexually assaulted during their four years in college and women in sororities are 74% more likely to become victims. These statistics are heart-dropping. Numbers have an indescribable power to make our greatest fears become what may seem like an inevitable nightmare around the corner. What makes the issue so much worse, and what students are referring to when asking for more accountability, is that UNC, like many universities, doesn't exactly support victims at least not in the same way they would help victims of other crimes with fewer social implications. As one student mentioned frat-sanctioned training, the school leaves the issues of sexual assault up to the students. This heavy burden mainly falls on women on campus as frats have little repercussions for their behavior. Survivors of sexual assault on college campuses sometimes do not know the name of the perpetrator because the assault took place at a chaotic party but if they do, they must face the decision of whether or not to pursue legal action. Many sexual assault cases do not result in proper justice for the survivors, and so women are left to grapple with the trauma on their own. I wonder what type of training is involved for fraternity brothers, and if they're sitting in a room laughing about a pair of underwear someone left upstairs over the weekend, or if they're really thinking about their behavior. Students seem to think most frats are not sincere in their rhetoric is interesting um 
I don't really trust it, to be honest. No. Can I say a controversial take? Greek life is performative in every sense of its aspect, yeah. so everything that Greek life does will be performative activism. All the places, all the frats hanging out, like the little you are love things, and I'm like, that's such performative activism, because all the women in you sexually assault and rape yeah, are yeah, wanting to kill themselves, and they, that's not, they're not feeling supported, it's very performative, yeah. so. I thought the banners that the frats were hanging up for, like, mental health was very much so performative activism. Yes. They don't give a fuck, they just care about their reputation, yes. and that's that. Those students were referring to a banner hung up at a frat house earlier this semester after the UNC community lost two students to suicide. This mistrust of frats and their performative nature extends into all of Greek life, as many argue that Greek life is built on a corrupt system. And so no matter what they post on social media or release in official statements, nothing will change their roots. Mainly, students were vocal about two issues, race and class. They're uh, really like private, selective, classist, racist spaces that uh, not only house condone but also um, like encourage uh, sexual assault and sexual violence. So I think for some people it's really good, but it's definitely not super accessible, and it's somewhat founded on a more like racist and sexist ideal, which is not ideal for sure. Sure. Um, I personally hate Greek life. I believe that it is an elitist institution that um, prides itself on its exclusivity and creates creates spaces where a lot of fucked up shit happens, mainly like sexual assault and harassment, which as a woman, not really here for that. So that's, that's about all of my thoughts on that. Up until 1963, there were still fraternities here at UNC that held membership restrictions for white students only, and some students had to be, as they put it, socially acceptable. 1963 was only 58 years ago, and the remnants of explicit racism in Greek life can still be found at UNC today. Racism appears in a multitude of practices and attitudes in the Greek life system. While fraternities and sororities today don't have explicit rules for who they can and cannot accept, the process cannot be, and is not supposed to be, objective. Prospective sorority and fraternity members must undergo a process called RUSH, in which they attend various events at different organizations. The prospective members are interviewed by current members, but really the interviews go both ways, since both the current members and the hopefuls rank their top choices of people or houses. Current members are usually looking for students who fit in well with the culture, mission, and general vibe of their organization. However, some UNC students see this process as less of a vetting process and more like choosing friends. It's paying to live, paying for friends basically. Just the whole idea of having to pay to make friends or just being exclusive and... There's a flip side to this idea of paying for friends. If you aren't chosen for a house, does this mean they don't want to be friends with you? Have they not deemed you worthy or did they just not like your outfit? Um, especially just knowing people in sororities and knowing how they choose um, who they want to join their sorority. Like sitting down with a checklist and uh, yeah, just rating these girls on a ton of different shit. Um, including if they're hot enough to be in the sorority. 
And then, uh, you know, crushing people's self-esteem when they don't get in there. Or is this level of selectivity important? I know that some fraternities have like a rush process where they, they uh, scrutinize your every movement and they purposely have events where they give you a lot of alcohol and see the way that you interact with girls uh, or guys for that matter. And they, if they see you make anyone uncomfortable, you're out. But I don't know that every fraternity does this. And I don't know if that's like the only way to, to weed out the people that aren't, that aren't good, that aren't good folks. This system allows for bias and racial profiling since a majority of current Greek-like members are white and implicit bias is bound to play a part in their decisions. Many Greek-like members may feel more comfortable choosing students who are of the same background as them, which usually includes race and class, and which reflects an overall college culture where some students tend to stick to people who look like themselves, even at more diverse universities. There's many problems embedded in just the whole concept of hey, uh, we're a bunch of white, rich people and we're going to be friends among ourselves and we're going to close our community. And An article in the Carolina Political Review from 2018 shared a powerful anecdote that summarizes the issue. Sororities used images of black artists along with taglines like Go Greek and meet your Migos or Go Sicko Mode, Go Greek, Go KD. The sororities welcomed black arts and culture with open arms, but it's unlikely that more than a few black women joined the sororities that year. The article calls this palatable blackness, which is an acceptance of black culture in comfortable, easy forms, but not when it comes to fighting for black lives or to create a more diverse space within Greek life. Racism doesn't end in the rush process, but often follows over into everyday Greek life through microaggressions from fellow brothers and sisters. These microaggressions are often also aimed at socioeconomic status, which, like race, becomes a pain point before rush even begins. For rushing a sorority, the daily events have different dress codes. Earlier this year, many of our TikTok For You pages were swarmed with daily outfit videos for each stage of the rush process as the University of Alabama's Greek life system went viral. I remember seeing tags hanging off the backs of dresses and skirts and watching girls pull shoes out of shoeboxes. While buying a new wardrobe is not a requirement for Rush, having the right clothing is, and students who don't already own tennis skirts and white platform sneakers or other trendy items might be at a disadvantage if they don't purchase them and don't look like the rest of the crowd. Additionally, sorority and fraternity dues can be thousands of dollars, up to almost $5,000 a semester. Dues are more expensive for those who choose to live in the sorority or fraternity homes. This is not required, but a 2013 study from the University of Minnesota highlights that the in-house living option perpetuates class divides. The results of the study suggest that students from upper classes and wealthy backgrounds are more likely to live in fraternity and sorority residences than students from lower social class backgrounds, and also suggests that living in fraternity or sorority residences can enhance a student's sense of belonging. This leads lower income students to feel marginalized. And it doesn't help that 72.9% of students identify as being from upper or middle classes, whereas only 6% identified as being from low-income families and 18% from working-class families. 
Okay, so one thing about Greek life is it's super expensive, which definitely adds to the elitist factor because only certain people are able to join and there's like supposed scholarships, but they're hard to access. With all of the negative opinions students have about Greek life, does the UNC community think it should still be a part of campus? But I honestly think that like, like I wouldn't want to be friends with someone who is like extremely involved in Greek life on campus. It's just a like there. There's a lot of, um, in my opinion, like there's a lot of uh, reductive stuff that comes with uh, the Greek life culture. Um, I mean, famously, like frats are a kind of dangerous environment for women. Um, there have been reports of sexual assault on our campus. Not to mention stuff like pledge hazing. Um, it like it just. Um, I know that not every like frat guy or sorority girl participates in the bad side of frat culture, but at the same time, like it feels like an unnecessary part of campus. Um, yeah, I know that's kind of harsh, but like I've had this opinion for a while. <laughs> uh, they're just they're fucked up spaces, and they're only around because uh, donors were once part of those fucked up spaces themselves and hold some sort of uh, affinity for them. Uh, Greek life should be abolished at universities. And I'm not saying that we should like abolish fraternities altogether. It's kind of ignoring the like root issues because the problematic people are still going to be around. They're just going to have other venues to assault people, to harass people, to abuse drugs and alcohol in. They're just not going to be altogether like concentrated in these social groups. If students think that Greek life needs to be abolished, then what reasons are there for keeping it around? Why do students join fraternities and sororities? I went into college not planning on joining a fraternity. I ended up finding a group of guys that I, that I really liked, but that doesn't mean that like joining it is like a full endorsement. I very much feel like I'm reaping some benefits being in a fraternity. I get a guaranteed group of friends that I can live with and have a good time with. But there's some, there's some real issues with Greek life. And I know that a lot of fraternities have really, really good members who are in it for the brotherhood and in it for the social benefits. But I also know that a lot of them have, you know, a couple, couple really, really bad eggs that are gonna do some messed up stuff. So I wanted to join a sorority, like mostly just to like immerse myself in the culture of the school and also kind of like create a community really quickly. Um, it's been going really well so far, so yeah. I also think that like, yes, it does create a community, but it can create more of a toxic community. But I do know a lot of people who have used Greek life to find their community here, which is fair enough. So I think for some people it's really good, but it's definitely not super accessible. Clearly, we did not get many willing volunteers who are active members in Greek life organizations. As one student told us, many sorority and fraternity members are dealing with their own internal struggle of their membership to these institutions and don't even know their own thoughts enough to share with others. We also spoke to students who are in non-traditional Greek life organizations. I joined a sorority, but it's a music honor society sorority, and it's like such actually a good group to be in. We're left with a pretty colorful picture of Greek life. That is, one with maybe a few paint spills and some lazy eraser marks. UNC is a huge school with hundreds, if not thousands, of student organizations. 
Non-traditional Greek life includes service and business frats, but students also find their place at club sport teams, dance and performance groups, and maybe a podcast. I want to end today's episode with a few questions to think about as this semester comes to a close. How are you involved at UNC? How do you contribute to the UNC community? And as always, how can your perspective serve those around you for good? Thank you for listening to Pitt Perspectives. If you are interested in contributing your voice to future topics, follow us on Instagram at Pitt Perspectives UNC and stay on the lookout for future recording dates and times. Maybe we will see you in the pit.